and my concern is is gas prices rise across the world, you know, Europe and in the U.S. And it's not the news. It's not on the news every single day like it was in the in the beginning months. People are going to tire of what is happening. On the Experts Connect podcast, we have thought-provoking conversations with top-performing experts on topics that matter to you. With Experts Connect, you'll uncover fascinating facts and gain the necessary skills you'll need to improve all aspects of your life. Hi, Claudia. How are you doing? Hello. Fine, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Welcome to the Experts Connect podcast. So today we'll be talking about the Ukraine war. I'll just ask you first to tell us a bit about your background. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I am an American, I but I have been living in uh, Germany since 2017. I'm currently in Berlin, but I was for the first uh, three and a half, four years, we were actually outside of Munich, but we moved about a year ago to Berlin. I am a social justice uh, activist, writer, speaker, and I, I wrote a book on uh, the relationship between President Obama and Chancellor Merkel. And two, two chapters of that book uh, talk specifically about Ukraine and, and the events leading up to, to where we are today. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how is your book going? The book is doing really well. I've been the last uh, a couple of weeks, I've been really busy mm-hmm. uh, with interviews and meetings and, and podcast appearances and writing guest blog posts. So I'm pretty happy. Yeah, you're doing well. I'm proud of you. So Thank you. Now, because I just had a baby, I think it was February 23. I had him and the day after I heard there was war between Ukraine and Russia. What that was that February 24 or something like that? Yeah, it was February 24th. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what happened? Um, what's Russia's broad interest in Ukraine? Well, it depends upon who you ask. Uh, <laughs> the the main the Putin will argue that he invaded Ukraine to quote unquote denazify the country. Yeah. Uh, what what that means, nobody really understands, given the fact that Zelensky, the president of of Ukraine, is Jewish. So um, mm-hmm. you know most people find that Putin's rhetoric a little offensive in that regard. Uh, he also, Putin also argues that one of his justifications for this special military operation, he won't, they're forbidden from calling it a war, but the special military operation is that he, Putin believes that the Russians who live in the Ukrainian territory, in parts of Ukraine that speak Russian, that still speak Russian, even at home or out and about in public, are being discriminated against by the Ukrainian population. So Putin's justification, if you will, is to help support these these Russians who are are being discriminated against by the Ukrainian government. Now, I think we all know, anyone who follows politics at all, knows Mm -hmm. that that the real story behind this is that Putin, it is written in the Ukrainian constitution that Ukraine would like to join NATO. Mm-hmm. And NATO is the nemesis of, of Russia. And so Putin's real justification in, in, in this 
operation, if you will, is to prevent U Ukraine from officially joining NATO. So, yeah. So I think if you read between the lines, that's the real reason that we're that he's engaged in this unfounded war. I understand. And yes, that's interesting. I even watched a documentary once. Um, one of the professors, I don't remember which school he was saying, well, they can understand why Russia, Putin would want to go to war because it's like um, having an having NATO in Ukraine would be like having soldiers in your backyard. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> What's your take on that? I think uh, that's a little propaganda, just a little <laughs> bit of propaganda. They're they're afraid, and so mm -hmm. they're they're using scare tactics to yeah. to for their. Um, and and one thing that we have to keep in mind is that the the Russians don't have access to free press like like we do, and so the Russians only see what Putin wants them to see, and yeah. so so they don't see all these innocent civilians being bombed, you know, yeah. apartment buildings being bombed. They just hear what Putin would like them to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more nationalism. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, so back in 2014, Russia started moving in towards Crimea and Donbass. I think you mentioned that in your article mm -hmm. on teachsomebody.com. So can you please expound on that? What triggered those moves? Sure, I, I will do this in what I call a cliff notes version. So very, very concise. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the 2014, the, the former uh, president of Ukraine was ousted. And um, there was a sense of turmoil that was created because of that. Um, and so what happened was the, the Russians realized that there was chaos because of the, the ousting of, this, of the president. So what they did is the military be, began um, going in and taking control over regions of um, Crimea and Donbass. And then long story short, um, this, this all happened in the winter of 2014, so February. And um, the Russian used this um, unrest and they took important sites and cities. And ultimately what happened was Crimea, Crimea um, declared a de declaration of independence from Ukraine on March 16th, 2014. And then Russia formally incorporated Crimea as part of uh, Russia on March 18th. And so they, the government was put in place that was pro-Russian. Pro and so that, that kind of started, started it laid the foundation for what is happening now. And even when that happened, um, the the world came together um, that and said, told Putin what he did was illegal, that you cannot annex a, a sovereign nation. Mm -hmm. And they started implementing sanctions and they that's when they they threw uh, the G8, it had been the G8, the, the group of the most powerful economic countries economies in the world and Russia had been part of that 
and as an, an attempt to get Russia, to Putin to back down, they ousted Russia from the G8 and it became the G7. And other countries started implementing sanctions as punishment for, for Putin to Putin. And it, unfortunately, it didn't work. And Putin didn't back down. And, you know, here we are um, six years later um, yeah. in the midst of a war. Yeah. I remember in December when Joe Biden was basically warning Putin and saying, you know, please don't um, invade Ukraine. And Putin was like, no, we are not going to go to war and all those things. And then in February 2022, as we discussed earlier, they started that war. So why in what happened in February 2022 that prompted this sudden invasion? You know. I, I can't state specifically what why it was that particular date. I do know that for, for months and months that people had been, the intelligence communities around the world had been warning everyone, the world, you know, particularly Zelensky saying, you know, Putin is, he's serious about this. This is not rhetoric. You need to kind of get your act together and be prepared for this. And because Putin really made no secret of it, he started Put, sending out military tanks and yeah. and key areas and uh and i don't think anybody even Zelensky, did not take anyone seriously and 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 every everyone was kind of blindsided by it despite i think they were nobody could believe that even putin would invade a sovereign nation despite all the signs leading to it and they were kind of complacent and just said oh we're not worried about it and then lo and behold um everybody was caught off guard and the thing is they shouldn't have been that you know the signs were there the intelligence was there that this was going to happen yeah so the intelligence was there and then Zelensky denied it. Do you think, because you mentioned, because I didn't know that he was an actor before, do you think it was a lack of political experience? Why he wasn't? I I, I think there there's probably, there's that component to it. Uh, <laughs> and I and I think it was, you know, it's the elephant, you know, what we say, you know, there's an elephant in the room and he just, you don't want to, you don't want to see something you don't want to believe and and i think he just he want he just didn't have the expertise he didn't have the experience yeah. and i and i think he, he at the time before the war zelensky was not particularly popular his his approval ratings i think were something along 30 percent and so people around the world did not take him seriously at all and i think um and and there could be a a lot, I think a lot of it was the fact that they were afraid that if something were to happen to Ukraine, that he wouldn't, Zelensky wouldn't be able to, to pull the country together. And he, you know, he surprised the rest of the world. But I do, I, I don't know if complacency, I think it's a combination of complacency, um, lack of experience, um, that, and not, not being willing to see the writing on the wall, I think, all contributed to the fact that despite all the warnings, um, Ukraine was caught off guard and they shouldn't have been. They were, they had been told by everyone from the U.S. intelligence agencies to the British, you know, everyone was saying, be prepared. And Zelensky just, and I think to a certain extent, there's a certain level of arrogance to it too. It's, you know, he just didn't think, 
you know, he was right the the weekend right before the attack was the 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 security conference in, in yeah. Munich, something that they have every year since the end of World War II. And he was Zelensky was told not to come to Munich because they were afraid there's afraid of, uh, of a an attempt to take over the government while he was gone. And he he insisted on, on going to Munich anyway. And you, you can argue was it just arrogance on his part for doing that? Was it uh, was it um, uh, I'll show you. I'm, you know, nothing is going to happen. You guys are all being, you're all being chicken little, and, and nothing is going to happen. You know, I think it, you know, it was. There are a lot of factors, and the fact of the matter is, he, he, he was fortunate that when he did go, he, in, nothing, nothing bad happened. But yeah. he, you know, he wasn't listening to the warnings of the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, and well. Joe Biden was always warning about, you know, not invading Ukraine, etc. But what exactly can you explain what exactly is the role of the US in the war? The the uh, the US has provided they they do not want to get involved and in, they're afraid of of engaging with Russia further. So mm -hmm. they want to be very careful, but just one of the things that they've done is they've provided a tremendous amount of financial support to Russia as, or I'm sorry, to Ukraine against Russia. And as of the numbers keep changing, but I looked them up a few minutes ago and, you know, for example, in March, on March 15th, Biden signed a, a bill for a bipartisan bill um, for an additional 13.6 billion dollars in, in military, humanitarian, and economic assistance. And so that money goes towards helping um, bring in humanitarian efforts to the people that are there, providing weapons, um, military weapons to Ukraine to help fight the Russians. Um, and so, so economic um, support is one thing that, that the uh, U.S. has done. And another thing the U.S. has also offered to allow, I think it's 100,000, yeah, up to 100,000 Ukrainians that would like to leave uh, Ukraine to move to the United States. Uh, the, the U.S. has opened their border to them. That, you know, that's a nice promise, but a lot of one thing that we're learning over here is the Ukrainians do not want to leave. Yeah. They they do, they want to stay close to home. And then the other thing, and I think this is something that um, is the rest of the world is doing as well, is that the U.S. has issued a lot of economic sanctions against Russia and everything from Putin has, himself has been sanctioned, his daughters have been sanctioned, um, there has been um, sanctions against um, Poland, um, members of the, the Kremlin that, that support Putin. So there have been um, a lot. And then on a an, an, um, private sphere level, a lot of companies, U.S.-owned companies have pulled out of, of Russia in protest. You know, for example, McDonald's yeah. has pulled out of Russia. So, so short of giving uh, the Ukrainians the no-fly zone that they so want, I, I think the U.S. is and, and the rest of the European Union, for that matter, has done what they can to support the, support uh, the Ukrainian people. But do we need Russia? Don't we need Russia in terms of gas, oil? Unfortunately, yes. And this is this is something. This has been my big point of contention. Is quite honestly, I think that that in 2014, when when the Ukrainians, um, when the Russians um, invaded 
Crimea for the first time, the 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 Europeans should have started making alternative plans to, to back away from Russia uh, for for um, nuclear and, and energy for this very reason. Because so we had a warning, and now now the rest of the world, Germany in particular, is running around acting like they're totally caught off guard, and what they should and and now scrambling. You know they they don't want to they don't want to sanction Russia too heavily because they need Russia for energy. Yeah. And it's something if they had started six or seven years ago trying to break away from this, we wouldn't be in the same position. We would have alternatives now in place instead of. Um, and so th that's one one area I think the, the world could have done a better job of of preparing itself for the, yeah, the intelligence was there. Yeah. So and another thing that I was thinking about, because you have different world powers that they're playing kind of like hide and seek. Some are not really saying anything or trotting very lightly, like China, Turkey. What do you think um, if they become involved? What are the implications for the rest of the well, world? I'm, I'm a little concerned about Turkey in the in this fact that initially, or not initially, but the last couple of weeks, uh, when um, Finland and Sweden had asked to formally join NATO, yeah. Turkey was dragging their feet and saying, no, we're opposed to this. And then and in, in order for any country to uh, enter NATO, you need unanimous support from every single NATO country. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, oh, God, this is this has got disaster written all over it. We I can't believe Turkey is going to fight this. But they they in the last few weeks, they turned around and they said that they will support. So, so that's good. Now, with regard to China, I am a little concerned about um, them using, you know, they've wanted for a long time to have more control over Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little concerned that they're going to use this opportunity. They're, you know, they're, they're kind of watching what's going on in Europe. And are they going to, because um, the, the rest of the world is so focused on, on what's happening in, in, over here in Europe, are they going to take that, seize that opportunity? So, uh, you know, they've been fairly quiet, uh, but I am, um, yeah, I don't always think silence, you know, no news is good news kind of thing, you know, so, so, so I am a little concerned about that. But at the same time, I also don't want to, you know, you, there's a fine balance between paying attention to what's going on. So you're not um, caught off guard without silent, without sending off alarms and putting everybody in, in mass paranoia, because that I don't think is going to do anyone any good either. So yeah, I get it. And going back to the conversation about the NATO, um, a lot of people are concerned, especially us in the EU, that if Sweden and Finland join the NATO, then it would have very horrible implications on the EU and the rest of the world. Particularly one person or a few persons are concerned about this turning into World War III. What are, what's your take on that? I'm, I am honestly more concerned about um what's going to happen with russia mm -hmm. um and then i am turning into world war three than than finland or or um sweden entering nato now if 
luckily, uh, the war in Ukraine is not going as planned. You know, Putin really thought he was going to go in over the weekend and take Kiev, and, and that was going to be the end of it. And the Ukrainians have put up one hell of a fight. Yeah. And um, and so things aren't – and if, if things were going better for Putin, I would be more concerned. You know, because there was a lot of concern at the very beginning that Putin isn't, wasn't going to stop at uh with ukraine that he was going to go in and he was going to take over the the baltic states mm -hmm. and and you know in, in finland for that matter because he's been throwing he's been threatening to if, if they join nato and if putin were doing better in russia or i'm sorry in ukraine if the russians were doing better in ukraine i would worry but the fact that that the that the ukrainians are are holding their own and are keeping russia at bay yeah. And have for so long. I'm I'm hoping that when it's going to wear out all their resources and that we're going to, it'll be the end um, without any movement into the Baltics. But who you know, Putin is so unpredictable. He could have all these resources that we don't know about. Exactly. So, and I mean, I looked at how closely Russia and Finland shared border and what could happen. I'm really concerned. What could really happen with Finland if they joined the the NATO. What's your take on that? My, you know, Putin has been shooting his mouth about how this is not going to be a good thing if if Finland joins NATO. However, we do have to keep in the, keep in mind that if if Finland does join NATO, and it looks like they're going to, mm -hmm. um, that. Uh, Putin does one thing in NATO in, in any NATO country, whether it's you know Helsinki, then he's then Putin is going to have to have to deal with the wrath yeah. of all the all. And yeah. I, I just I I was looking at the at the data on on troops, and right now NATO is let me look um, NATO has approximately. Let's see, um, 3.5 million troops, troops, military, um, and civilians, and about 14,682 tanks. Now, if you add um, Sweden and Finland to yeah. that mix, that raises it to um, Sweden and Finland have a joint military personnel of yeah. 3.5 million people, but that that doesn't include the the reserves. That just includes active people, and that would raise the the that would also raise the number of tanks, active tanks, to 15,000 tanks. So I I do think it, it's it's lower than what would happen had Ukraine they allowed Ukraine to enter the um, NATO, which is you know what Putin was really concerned about. But like I said, you, you add Finland and Sweden in the mix, you have two more um, NATO territories, and all it would take is one missile to go awry in in Finland for the rest of for the rest of um, NATO to step in and say, okay, this is the end, kind of, you know, you're you're going to have to stop. Or similarly, you know, there have been rumors or concerns that Putin has gotten dangerously close to NATO territory in Poland. So, yeah, yeah. So we don't know if this could turn into World War Three. Let's see. <laughs> um, what are your projections on ending this war? Do you think Ukraine will join NATO eventually? What's what's your take on this? 
you know, at the end of the day, and this is something I think we all have to keep in mind, is that what happens is really up to the Ukrainian people. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like the Ukrainians have given up, they've been willing to compromise and say that they're okay with not joining NATO as long as they get some level of neutrality. Mm -hmm. um, and I, from a personal perspective, that bothers me because I don't, you know, it's like, why should they have to give up something when they did nothing wrong? But mm -hmm. I also understand the ramifications. And so yeah. if the Ukrainians are okay with that compromise, then, then so be it. But I do think that, um, I, you know, Zelensky is, is predicting that it's going to be another probably two years of, of this. And, and my concern is, is gas prices rise across the world, you know, Europe and in the U.S., and it's not the news. It's not on the news every single day like it was in the in the beginning months. People are going to tire of what is happening. You know, they're they're going to get tired of of having to pay higher fuel prices, or if there are shortages because of lack of of supply of energy and and resources, um, yeah. people are going to the Ukrainian people people are going to lose the support of the rest of European countries. And there might be some pressure on Ukraine and the war sooner rather than later. And that, that kind of, for me as a humanitarian, that that's my biggest concern is that people are, are going to lose sight of at the end result. And, and I'm afraid that I don't think, you know, it, it would be wonderful for if at the when all is said and done, if Crimea could go back to Ukraine where it belongs, if if that's what the people so desire. But I, I am afraid that when when this is all said and done, that Russia is going to gain a little bit more territory, but they're still going to keep control of Crimea and they're going to prevent uh, Ukraine from joining NATO. Yeah. And you know, it, it's disappointing, but you know, but that's really it's for us to say when we're not the ones seeing the bloodshed, you know, yeah. we're not, our, our, our country hasn't been devastated. So, but I, but I do think it's up to the rest of the world to whatever Ukraine decides, however they want to end it, support them. And once the war is ended, I do think we need a lot of very similar to what we did at the end of world war two with Marshall plan type of funding going and help. I think we owe it to the Ukrainian people to go in and help them rebuild. Exactly. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And to conclude our discussion about the war with, between Ukraine and Russia, what lessons can we learn from this war? I think the biggest lesson we can learn is uh, the Ukrainian people can teach the rest of the world a lot about democracy and a lot about fighting for freedom. I, living in the United States, being an American, I've, I've seen Americans take democracy for granted. People don't vote. They don't do what they're, they're supposed to do. They assume that rights that, that we had are always going to be there. And so they get complacent and they don't do anything. And I think one of the lessons we can learn from the Ukrainians is that the, the Ukrainian people prior to this war were a sovereign nation minding their own business. They had a, a democratically elected government and they were, they were, doing everything they could to function successfully and they were attacked and on um and i and they they have fought people zelensky was offered on the very you know the very opening days of the war zelensky was offered safe 
haven in another country. And he said, absolutely not. And he's like, you know, I need ammunition, not a ride. And he, he's not in hiding. He goes out and he talks to, talks to his people, sometimes from a bunker, sometimes in the middle of the street. But he, you know, he shows leadership. He, he shows this is, this is what a leader does when faced with challenges. And the Ukrainians are not, are not giving up. They're, you know, you hear stories of them destroying their own bridge, d- bridges that included, which ends up being a suicide mission, but they would rather do that than to let the Soviet or the, the Russian troops advance. So there, there, um, we're also seeing a lot of cases where even though people had originally fled because it wasn't safe, they're going back. They want to go back to their own country, even though it's not necessarily safe. So I, I really think the Ukrainian people can teach the rest of the world that democracy is not something you take for granted. It's something you have to fight for, and it's worth fighting for if you believe in your country and, and, and your culture and your values. Yes, I agree. And you wrote a book or you're writing a book. Can you give us an overview of what it's about and when it will be released? Yes, I I wrote a book. It was released last October. It's called uh, Dear Barack, The Extraordinary Partnership of Barack Obama and Angela Merkel. Mm -hmm. And I, I wrote it in part because I was concerned. I saw what was happening with Brexit, with the French election at the time in 2017, the election there, and with Trump. And I was concerned with, you know, Trump's rhetoric about NATO and how it was absolute. And he wanted to remove the U.S. from NATO. And it it was concerning to me. And so my the thesis of the book is twofold. One, it is the personal relationship between President Obama and Angela Merkel. The two of them were of different political ideologies. Obama was center left. Merkel was center right. They didn't agree on a, on a lot of issues. They they butted heads on, on primarily economic issues and on whether to engage militarily against Russia. Um, but they they had one, enough respect for one another and their countries that they put their differences aside and they worked together for the betterment of democracy. And so that's one of the that so that's one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I wanted to prove is in today's polarizing times that one can still dis, have disagreements on policy and yeah. still put them aside and work together. And and then, you know, converse uh, similarly, how I, how important it is in today's globalized world, especially now, because I, I wrote this right with regard to Crimea, but it, because I was, you know, I could see not necessarily where we are now, but another world war or another, you know, that in today's globalized world, when we're, we all need to work together with things like climate change mm-hmm. um, and terror, terror, that it's important, it's imperative that now more than ever, NATO nations need one another. And I saw this wave of isolationism across the world. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of wanted to say, no, we need to, we need to take a step back and, and realize that the world benefits from a strong united front like NATO, that instead of NATO being obsolete, like, like people want to argue, it's now more important than ever. And and here we are in the midst of a war and a, a lot of uncertainty in the world. And it's, and, and, you know, and I'm a little worried about what's going to happen, you know, with the uncertainty of what's going on with, you know, it's, I really do think that the world needs, to, world leaders need to look at, at the relationship Obama and Merkel had. You don't have to like either one of them or respect 
their their policies to, to realize what they did was generally for the, the betterment of of not just their country but for the for the world yeah. and western democracies yeah okay wonderful and how can people reach you how can people get your book i'm sure you're working on another book though can you tell us a little bit on that about that one oh sure i I'm venturing into new territory, so the learning curve is really, really steep. So a lot of research. Um, but I was a, a few months ago. I was in Ireland on vacation, and I was in Belfast, and I happened to walk by during the the height of the IRA, the IRA, and the and the conflict with between the Catholic and the Protestants in the 1970s or 80s, they had what was known as peace walls that separated the two regions of the country, yeah. and I just was, it just reminded me, I felt the same chilling effect that I did when I, the very first time I was in Berlin and the yeah. Berlin wall was still up. And so what I'm doing is I'm researching uh, the, the policies and the procedures and the, and the lives of the people in Ireland versus the people and the Germans during the Cold War. How were their lives similar? Because you know, both in both instances, people were separated, phys had a physical barrier that separated them from their country members. You know, one was self-imposed with because of religious differences, and it was, and then one was imposed by the government to keep. But in any event, in both instances, you had country members that were separated by a physical barrier. So I want to look at the the similarities and differences of the two, and, and like I, I know nothing about. Um, Irish history so so the learning curve is really really high and so it's it's been you know I'm and slow in coming so it'll be probably three or four years anyway and a lot of research because I'm looking at two different even though I live in Berlin and I have the luxury of being able to go research places I am going to have to go and spend some time in Ireland um, I think at some point so so that's what I'm doing now. Um, if, if people want to, if they want to purchase Dear Barack, you can, uh, you, you can go on my website, which is ClaudiaClarkAuthor.com. Mm -hmm. And there's information on, on me and my speaking engagements. My, my blog posts are on there. Reviews for Dear Barack are all on there. My other media outlets like, like this are on there. Uh, and you can, go to your local bookstore the isbn is on there so you can just go to your local bookstore with the isbn and you can order it or you can also order it from amazon if you, if you prefer but um it's out there it's been out there since october and I, i'm very humbled by the i've received my the reviews have been very very good so i'm very very humbled by that you're doing well, very good. So thank you so much, Claudia, for being a guest on our podcast. You amazed us with your insightful knowledge as usual. Thank you for having me and thanks for your support. You've been one of my biggest supporters from the beginning, <laughs> so thank you. You're welcome, Claudia. So we'll talk soon and have a good rest of the day. You Ooh. too, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in on Experts Connect please head on over to teachsomebody.com and give us an applause. You may share your comments and ask your questions in the comment section. Please subscribe to us on YouTube as well as follow us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts 
you can also follow me on Instagram at Kadian Davis Owusu. Have a lovely rest of the week. Bye.